0: Hello and welcome to Buddha and the Body Coach. I'm Alexandra Stone and here with T. Proctor. So who's the Buddha? And so I come to show you.
1: We're here to talk about the things that matter. What makes your life more meaningful and fulfilled. Oh, I'm
0: so glad to know you so glad to help you throw those fears away i'll let the sunbeam shine from me i will light up the hills and then i'll be a part of all you see hello and welcome to buddha and the body coach thank you for joining us for this episode where we are going to be talking about a subject that has really aroused our curiosity. You may have heard of it. It's a cultural phenomenon, toxic positivity. I think we'll start off by outlining what toxic positivity actually is. And I'm in the studio, our living room that is, (laughs) with the wonderful Mr. T. Proctor, Hi Alex Hello
1: So, what is toxic positivity? Yeah, what is it? Wikipedia defines toxic positivity as or positive toxicity as a dysfunctional emotional management without the full acknowledgement of negative emotions particularly anger and sadness Another way you could say it is toxic positivity is Mandatory optimism.
0: It is what it is.
1: <laughs> chin up. <laughs> I'm not complaining, but
0: yeah, I've got stage four cancer. Oh well, chin up. What? You'd have to laugh. There was what is it? It's a, you did the if if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So right. So then we want to talk about well, what's wrong with crying? And we want to talk about. Why are we calling some emotions positive and some emotions negative? It, it tells us something about our culture. It tells us something about our, I think it tells us something about our capitalistic attitudes and our attitudes about how we commodify ourselves as human beings.
0: Mm. Um, I, I mean, I think it's important for us to say what it isn't as well, because there's nothing wrong with being a cheerful, and positive person, if that's your disposition. And there's a whole spectrum, right, that we exist along. Some people are just those natural chirpy people with the bluebird on the shoulder. And then you have more people who are kind of melancholic.
1: Yeah, and there really is a range of dispositions. Um, and I don't necessarily think that someone who appears more outwardly buoyant is always more happy or even more positive than somebody else. It can be the case and some dispositions have more positivity and more optimism. But what happens when we try to squeeze everything over into the category of positive emotion is we create a kind of a split self and we've talked about this type of thing before where There's a whole load of us that's not included.
0: Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a real distortion. So we just wanted to separate this idea of this distorted toxic positivity from real genuine positivity. That's a wonderful and beautiful thing. And if you're naturally inclined to be more positive, then that's great. But that's not what we're talking about today. So we're going to go into the distortion, the bright-siding, and how as a culture we have these preferred emotional states, how this creates a kind of binary opposition?
1: Yeah, and obviously positivity goes along, as I was saying, with productivity. So it behooves us as a uh, capitalist culture to be positive. Keep a hap- Keep happy thoughts, right?
0: Yeah, keep working.
1: <laughs> keep happy thoughts. Keep working. Whistle while you work. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the thing is here is that what can end up happening and why we really wanted to do this podcast is that we become fakes or we become facsimiles of happy. But... Actual positivity and happiness eludes us. The other part of it is that we lose touch with the goodness of life, the, the natural goodness of being, the natural goodness of life and being alive when we try to work too hard to generate a way that we should be.
0: Yeah, and I think that when we're working very hard to be happy and positive all of the time, we're actually holding ourselves in a state of tension and resistance. That, and that's, a, that's a highly stressful place to be.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like emotional juggling or sometimes I talk about plate spinning because there's this kind of frantic, frenetic pace that needs to be kept up to feel positive all the time. Some things don't have a positive spin, and they shouldn't have a positive spin. The emotions, and I, we're gonna get into this about emotions and the idea that some emotions are negative, and even this idea that you know we use the word toxic, we're kind of playing with this word toxic because using this word toxic is just another binary. Toxic this, toxic that, it's just another kind of like headline grabber. So let's, yeah, we're going to use that for the title of the podcast, but let's soften on that word toxic a little bit because then that's just playing into the same thing that we're going to be talking about here. So in terms of this idea of negative emotions, well, that would indicate that those m- emotions aren't necessary, that they aren't useful, that they shouldn't be part of who we are, that if we have them, there's something not right about us.
0: Yeah, um, you know, and I think in... In different cultures across the world, you'll have different taboo emotions. Like, I think we mentioned this on another podcast, but like in Bali, anger is a taboo. So they can't express that. And I think, you know, if you look, I mean, you've hung out in England, right? And, you know, people are more cynical.
1: Yeah. And I I think that in England, joy is a taboo. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it might be. You know what? In some places it is, actually. That's true.
1: You know, yeah. it, it, I
0: know I've i never thought about that, but I think it, you, you, you might be right.
1: Yeah, I, I think there is to be joyful and delightful and lit up in England, you're going to get some real snark coming at you.
0: Yeah, I, I, I wonder if it, because it kind of expresses like an innocence and you have to be vulnerable when you're in a real state of joy.
1: Yeah, well, joy is a really fine and delicate emotion. Yeah. And, you know, that it makes me think of Larry David's title for his show, Curb Your Enthusiasm.
0: <laughs> Certainly weird. I'm, I'm from in, in Liverpool. I mean, we have kind of very high states as Celts. Like, you can be passionate.
1: You could be passionately jolly, but I don't know that you could be in wonder... At the beauty of a nuanced cloud set or (laughs) the fluttering of a leaf in the wind.
0: (laughs) No, people who think you've been on the DMT. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, we're just going back to like this, these states of tension and how this is the ideas of these preferred emotions, how they're conditioned Within our cultural environment,
1: they're conditioned within our culture. They're conditioned within our family. Um, they're conditioned from how different people and whether it be school or wherever responded to us when we had them. They're conditioned by gender.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, okay, so I think that we have gave a good, hopefully, a good description of what you know this idea of toxic positivity. It actually is or what it means. And, you know, maybe we can move towards calling this bright siding or, you know, preferred emotional states as opposed to toxic. Because like you said, T, that's sort of like playing the game. You know, it's like that's that's a toxic emotion or that's a, a toxic thing that is a taboo that we can't go there with. And, you know, that's the whole Bloody problem that we are actually communicating yeah, today Yeah, and our,
1: our language really has a lot And linguists would love to hear me say this But our language has so much to do with how we experience reality Our language or our idea about things Our experience has a strong tendency to follow language and belief And ideas about reality So mandatory optimism bright sighting. And I wanted to give Barbara Ehrenreich, who's just passed away in the last month or two, a shout because she was really wonderful. Uh, Slight sidetrack, but she wrote a book called Nickel and Dimed. She actually went to Walmart and worked undercover as a Walmart worker and lived off the income as a Walmart worker for a number of months to write a book called Nickel and Dimed about the interestingly, what it's like to live in low income, poverty America. So this woman was somebody who was unafraid to really get into it, despite these extra high degrees and having a lot of success as a writer. She coined the term bright siding. She wrote the book Bright about America and our culture. And the reason she did that was because uh, she got a little tired of pe- people giving her pink teddy bears when she had uh, breast cancer.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that and the lab. me. Right. Yeah, I mean, something that she said actually was, you know, it's, it's almost a burden on the sick person to expect them to remain positive throughout what is isn't a really awful, often painful time. And, you know, I've got direct experience of this when I was in hospital last year and... In a, in a, you know, as bad a way as you could possibly be in before you die. And, you know, I'd had like loads of Facebook messages, lovely ones from people, but a few people were like, you know, there will be something to learn from this. I'm sure you're going to take something positive. And that might, that might be true eventually. But I
1: actually have the quote right here <laughs> somebody wrote to you and. You were terribly, terribly sick. And it was not pretty. And somebody wrote to you, Alex, I'm sure you'll learn something from this and turn it into something positive.
0: <laughs> I know, and I was just like, I'm not, I'm not ready to bypass. You know, I think I did say that actually. I did, I did write back and say I'm, I'm not quite ready to bypass. This is a, a really awful time for me. Yeah. You know, but I appreciate the sentiment and the fact that, you know, you don't want to go there To this misery and pain right now. (laughs) Well,
1: that's a really good point. And, and, you know, working in grief for the years that I did, first of all, I have to give people a little room because people don't know what to say. Our culture doesn't provide a way to meet people in difficult times and people don't have the tools or capacities to do that. Um, But there are just so many... So many poor responses when you've either lost someone or you're deeply sick or you've got a diagnosis. And the worst of the responses are this kind of gaslighting response where you're just supposed to find something positive amidst this experience or this diagnosis or this death or this grief that you're experiencing.
0: Yeah, and the, the weird thing is is that in the middle of that whole nightmare, the, the diamond was in the misery for me you know i had a huge mystical experience which i'm not going to go into but you know about it T. and that was found by really dropping into the full depth of the misery it was actually T. listeners who helped me into that because i was just i mean you you know that point where you're just like oh my god this this could not possibly get any worse and you're kind of holding yourself in that state of resistance so it's sort of like when your heart's about to break and you're like no I'm not gonna go there and you're holding yourself there and then T just said I'm it's not a surprise that you're feeling the depths of misery why don't you just let yourself drop into that and he was the only person that said that to me. I mean, bless everyone around me. They were really trying to help. But I think people are scared to take you in. That, you know, I mean, I had to take myself in. He just kind of opened the door. But once he did, I was, God, I started to get better the next day. Isn't that weird?
1: Yeah, it's probably not just a coincidence. I think the thing is, is that most people feel that if we let our despair have us, if we sink into our misery, as you talk about, that we'll never escape it. Yeah, That it's like everything will turn bad forever.
0: I know, and I think we are gonna come to that later, Mm. like how you kind of process through it, because most of us, we're we're not given the, the process or the language or the emotional agility to be able to actually deal with this sort of stuff. And you said something actually last night when we were talking about the podcast, it was, um, you said accessing these inner landscapes is a fairly new phenomenon for us, like as a species.
1: Yeah, so let's circle back around to that when we get later in the talk, because that's a, that is where we're going with it.
0: Well, don't forget, because that is a good, that's good.
1: Okay. Well, so I think right now we should kind of step back and talk about the positive psychology movement that started to happen in the 90s, and um, it's very strongly associated with uh, Martin Seligman, and it gained a lot of ground. Um, I think it was one of the things that Barbara Ehrenreich was trying to expose in her book, Bright because it gained a lot of ground. Uh, It touted some benefits that weren't necessarily that well-proven. And it was a very early on in the science, and even listening to Marty Seligman nowadays, you'll see there's been a lot of growth in the field, but it, it really got grabbed onto, and it was pretty perfect for corporate America to have this psychology movement. Uh, it's defined, positive psychology is the scientific study of what makes life worth living focusing both on individual and societal well-being. It studies positive subjective experiences, positive individual traits, and positive institutions, and it aims to improve the quality of life. So that's not toxic.
0: No, I, I think that it has some really positive attributes, and it can be helpful, but I do think it's become distorted.
1: Yeah, and it... It has become distorted, and I think even, as I was saying, if you listen to the people that are in that field, it's it's been self-correcting over time, and they have had to throw away some of the fallacies. Um, gratitude comes to mind. <laughs> it's an interesting practice because a lot of these things with the positive psychology are a kind of medicine and poison depending on who and when it is administered to. And for instance, gratitude can be... Uh, very helpful, and even gratitude practices can be very helpful, and at the same time, gratitude can, if you post it on Facebook or you post it on Instagram, it can make other people envious. That can complicate your Hmm. life. It can make you feel pressured. Yeah. It can actually gaslight the reality of your difficult experience so a lot of these things from positive psychology are really worthwhile and should be taken with a grain of salt
0: Mm. yeah and i just want to also circle back to what you were saying about productivity you know and how it's kind of misused there is a bit of pushback in the culture especially actually in america which i find interesting now around you know the idea that if you're feeling bad, you should go get a therapist or you know get some affirmations when you might be working three jobs and be in poverty still and not be able to afford your rent or maybe you've got a relationship that you know is is di- like difficult or whatever. well I guess I guess therapy could help you out but with that one, but the, my point is, There are certain circumstances in our lives that are not going to be helped by saying affirmations, by expressing gratitude. There are certain things that we need to change and what's funny is like anger is a real catalyst for change but it's one of the, it's the mad, bad and sad emotions that we tend to corner off as negative
1: yeah and so it sounds like you might be wanting to talk about anger one thing I'm thinking of when you're talking about this though is we watched that experience of the earthquake in Nepal
0: oh yeah that was that's a brilliant that was a brilliant documentary
1: and that kind of situation or a war or even living as somebody that is discriminated against continually. Those kind of situations, when people don't recognize a need that someone is having and there is no help available, it's more than insulting. It's violent to suggest that people be positive. Yeah, so it's like systematic abuses. Well, I would say that Suggesting people just, you know, there are these kind of. Um, uh, Barbara Ehrenreich was talking about in one of the videos we were watching recently. There are these theologies. What do they call them? The prosperity theology. Oh, yeah. You know, I remember there's this guy named Crefalo Dollar, and he was quite angry. What's a name. Crefalo Dollar. <laughs> he was quite angry. He's a preacher. He was quite angry at his congregation because. They hadn't raised enough money for his private jet. God. his new private jet. See
0: one of those, one of those super churches.
1: Um, I, I, yeah, I guess so. You know, they they but, fascinate the me. So it's called. I think it's called prosperity theology. But so, how wonderful to have something called prosperity theology? Because then, if you're not prosperous, it's God. It's God telling you that you're doing something wrong. <laughs> and and vice versa if you are prosperous it's god telling you you're doing something right
0: <laughs>
1: and you deserve a jet
0: wow it's kind of basic isn't it but yeah so yeah we've got yeah like these systematic sorts of uh, abuses going on and people you know existing within their marginalized groups or like all these real distortions happening like within the culture and you know, trying to tell somebody that an affirmation or gratitude or just being positive is going to fix that. Like you said, that's a real, it's an aggression against someone. There's something important to mention here. Having a positive perspective all of the time is delusional, but so is having a negative perspective. And that's where positive psychology really comes in and can be very helpful
1: right and i think that if you know a little history there you realize that with everything that went on around psychoanalysis going from freud and into melanie klein with the with the murderous babies who were <laughs> wanting to pillage and plunder their their parents and uh, <laughs> all that kind of deep miasma of psychoanalytic theory, it was a breath of fresh air in a way to come out of having to go so dark and so tarry into our nature and just change our thoughts a little bit, change the way we see things a little bit. And there is a power to that. And it was really important and it is really important for some people.
0: Yeah, exactly. So we we as human beings do tend to have a negativity bias and that is an important part of our evolution when we were in the wild and we were trying to survive we had to look for problems there's actually there's actually a gene associated with this type of brain they call it the warrior gene or more flattering the strategic gene and i found out i do actually have this gene (laughs) and they, they think that it you're, more flattered, from... <laughs>
1: you're more flattered by strategic than the warrior?
0: Warrior.
1: A warrior. I see, okay.
0: Definitely, yeah. I thought
1: you meant warrior.
0: I think I did. I think there was something else about having a warrior gene as well. Okay. But anyway, that's that's another podcast. Do you podcast. Have that one too, Alex? I do, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but the strategic gene, so this is where it comes from. You would go into a settlement and you're going to look around okay there's going to be a flood from that direction there's a bear pit down there we won't have water or well, how do we get running water oh there's bad weather in this environment you know you know so you have to basically like seek out all of the potential issues and it was very beneficial but now we live in safe environments in houses and there just aren't as many problems.
1: Except on the news. (laughs)
0: Except, I was just about to say that. (laughs) So the news is like the perfect example of our negativity bias. I mean, look, what do you always say about consumerism and capitalism?
1: What do I always say about it? Yeah. Oh goodness, uh, that it's just just supply alive. and demand.
0: Okay. <laughs> it's just supply and demand. <laughs> it's just demand. supply and demand. The media okay, is not like, hey, you know, we're, uh, we're just over here, you know, creating this stuff and just pushing it on you. Like, they're responding. It's like an algorithm to what it is that you want to consume so, so we have these 24 hour news cycles because you know, people are watching it because people are keyed in. If if you weren't, it wouldn't exist, right? So we want it as a as a people.
1: Yeah, and I think it does give us dopamine to be either made scared or angry, scared or angry, scared or angry.
0: Exactly, yeah. So we we naturally have this inclination towards negativity, towards you know, seeking out the problems. And that can cause us to become focused, you know, on, on the negative, if you want to call it that.
1: So positive psychology helps in that regard. It can redirect us and we can start to focus on our positive experiences without faking it. Even just feeling the breath can be a positive experience. We don't need to fake that.
0: That's Smelling... the important bit, the faking.
1: Right. Right.
0: Yeah, because if you, if you know that, or let's say, not that you know, let's say you feel deeply unattractive, like you feel that you're ugly and that nobody loves you, it doesn't matter how many times you tell yourself that you're beautiful and that you're an attractive, worthy person in the mirror. You're not going to believe it not on a deeper level. It may, it may actually bandaid for a bit, but you know, that's a a house of cards. And so the best way to use, let's say just affirmations will come to gratitude in a second is to just be honest. So if you don't feel that you are beautiful, you might say, I know that I don't feel this, but I am looking for the beauty i am looking for the beauty in myself i'm looking for the beauty in others i am looking for my worthiness in the world you know so it's it's you sort of directing your brain towards seeing it hmm. and another example would be gratitude so if you if you look around your life i mean look if you're in beirut i mean it's going to be pretty tough in the middle of a war to find gratitude I mean people do actually but it's then okay uh, am I grateful for the sunset am I grateful for music am I grateful for having running water coming out of a tap so you're just acknowledging the goodness in your life that is actually there you're not making it up you're not saying I've got a great relationship and I'm really you know, I'm really grateful for it if you don't.
1: So, I think you, there was a really good example of that. There were people who knew inherent goodness in themselves when everything was going on in Syria, especially early on, and you were seeing these things like rubble and people doing puppet shows for children amidst the rubble. Those are people who are finding something of value worthwhile and. I'm going to make the connection from what you're talking about, about gratitude, to the ability to give kindness. And the inherent knowing that being kind to another person and being of service to another person is a goodness. Mm. And that's something that's coming from positive psychology right now is we're starting, they're actually starting to see chromosomal changes changes in your DNA from, I'm sorry, I don't know if it's changes in your DNA, I don't know how to talk about this. Genomes, I think Starting to see changes (laughs) in the genome around kindness to others. And changes in the genome that are actually related, incidentally, to a enhanced immune response, for instance. We can put that in the show notes. But so, you're talking about positive psychology recognizing the value of kindness, Increasingly recognizing the value of connection, recognizing the value of achieving something in life that is meaningful, recognizing the value of being connected in community, and of course, obvious to the work we've done with these podcasts, the feeling of being safe and secure.
0: Yeah.
1: And when we can see that those things are to some degree present, or work with some of those things in our lives, that creates a greater sense of well-being, that creates a greater sense of meaning for us. It's kind of like a uh, reciprocating loop where you recognize the goodness that is there in the gratitude, not making up, not pretending the difficulties aren't there, but recognizing the good is there, that does combat that negativity bias that you're talking about.
0: I was listening to a really good podcast. That was great, by the way, too. And um, just kind of adding to it. There's a podcast called No Stupid Questions. And it's hosted by Stephen Dubner and Angela Duckworth. Great podcast. And I will link the one that I'm talking about in the show notes. So they were talking about the happiest societies. Or the happiest, I don't know, it was happiest countries. I think it was countries, actually. And Finland always comes out really high and America it was one of the most I don't know if they use the word positive or happy I can't remember but it was you know in that ballpark it had sunk from uh it was 15 and since 2016 funnily enough it sunk to I think it was 19 I can correct that in the show notes if I'm wrong So anyway, this kind of fascinated behavioral psychologists and I think there was like certain countries, like poorer countries you wouldn't expect where people have, you know, higher reported happiness. In cities and urban areas it tended to drop and one of the things that they were posing as a theory was it's because we have higher expectations and higher comparison so like you know when your neighbor's got more than you next door and he drives up in his flashy car if you've got three million and he's got six million you feel poor next to him
1: yeah there's loads of research on that that kind of comparison unhappiness um uh, incidentally uh in the podcast you were listening to i think i was listening to the same one and they said that The lowest measurable happiness was in Afghanistan And that points us back to the fact that There's a lot of poverty in the culture A lot of conflict in the culture A lot of inequality And a lot of repression and oppression in the culture Mm -hmm. So that brings us kind of full circle around to What you were talking about We were talking about the cultural experience upon us of positivity And the personal experience of positivity. And you had talked about even just things like having anger and how that might be personally unsafe for someone. And instead of someone learning through the course of their life, oh, when I'm angry, that means I'm setting a boundary. Or when I'm angry, that means uh, somebody's blocking my initiative. Or when I'm angry, that means there needs to something really needs to change in the environment, you learn anger is bad, and then you get called uh, the little terror or the, the rainstorm when you're sad, for instance. You start to learn that your vital life energy, as seen as anger or as seen as sadness or as seen as grief, is not valued, not wanted, and should be shut out from life. So that kind of comes full circle to what you're talking
0: about there. Yeah, that that's brilliant. So it has value, but then, you know, it, it also can be hugely distorted and cause delusion.
1: Right, so I think what this brings us to is the value of being real in life.
0: Mm. So why, T. am gonna ask you this question, I mean, this is the name of your business. It's called Being Real. So what is the value of being real?
1: Well, so when I love the name of my business, Being Real, and being real means so many things and so much to me that if I just touch on it a little bit, it's not just about kind of being where you're at and being honest and being truthful about what's going on with you, at least inside to yourself. It means that to be real is to be real and connected to all of reality, real and connected to the substance of reality. And it it, it gets quite spiritual quite fast because to be real is to be life. And I think this is maybe getting a little ahead of where we're going, but to be real is to be in the flow. And we'll come back to that. But to be real is—it's
0: really about not having any depth, right? If you—if you don't have, we don't have it. So if you—if you can't be real, like you said earlier, its, it's kind of fake.
1: Yeah, it's—it's it's about being like a shell of oneself. Mm. It's like living in the matrix, so to speak. Yes. You know, I think it's funny there's so many Matrix-type movies and things like that, and so many movies about kind of breaking out of this, these, like, artificial realities and so forth, mm. because it's really unsatisfying.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I'd never thought about it like that before. I mean, like, the spiritual communities are all like, the the, the Matrix is, is a way of the Illuminati telling us what's really going on, and it's like, well... Maybe it's because you're really incoherent with yourself.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the ego can be seen as the matrix. The ego is the cumulative collection of history and ideas and images that we have about ourselves and the world and other people and about relationships. And unless we wake up, we become woke from our, <laughs> from our egos, to some degree we can't actually be real we can only be kind of a mimicry of what we've learned from our culture what we learned from our families what we learned from other people mm. that we admire or, or dislike
0: yes yeah, so i just want to take you back to that idea of coherence now i mean i must have lived here for four years now well before years were it in march kind of you know mostly here little in England but anyway I'm, I'm noticing the differences between the cultures. One of the things that I found really quite disconcerting here in America and still do is that people will tell you very personal things very quickly in what I would deem maybe an appropriate environment, kind of public places and they will tell you something's going on in their life and it is a, it is a hard thing you know somebody died divorce whatever surgery yeah
1: graphic description yeah. of a surgery yeah
0: but they're kind of smiling when they're telling you it and i, I you know I'm, I'm like whoa that's that i i can't understand your face isn't matching the the narrative
1: yeah, well, I know what you're talking about. I've seen that, and I've seen you respond to
0: that. Well, the, the um, there's an incoherence there. Oh, right. You know, and so you're not being real. You're kind of telling the story, but it's almost like there's a disassociation yeah. from the actual feeling of it. Um, Now, in, in England, like we pointed out, you know, there's a little bit of a difference. We are more cynical. We do bright side emotions stiff you know upper lip yeah definitely but people will be will tell you what's going on in their lives they don't cry but they will look kind of miserable i mean a lot of people in england look kind of miserable like an old lady next to you on the the bus you know because we, we have public transport there <laughs> she, she might start telling you about oh, my son, you know, he's got stage four cancer and I'm feeling, you know, I'm I'm struggling with this or, you know, whatever it is. But she's not smiling when she's telling you it. So, I, you know, I've noticed that as quite a profound difference and I found it quite hard to connect with the culture in some ways because of that.
1: Yeah, and what I see in what you're talking about is that people don't feel that their experiences are real and validated. So they are kind of like, even though they might be happening to someone's body, uh, people don't have an embodied way to transmit to you what's going on because they don't necessarily feel that what they, f- first of all, they can't feel what they're really feeling inside about it because they've become so shut off to that. Yeah. But at the same time, they don't feel that even if they did feel it to some degree, that that feeling is going to be felt by another or met in a way and seen in a way as we've talked about feeling felt. So I think in this culture, and I think it happens in England too, but the sense that we will feel felt.
0: It does, it's just a different, it's just a slight difference, but it's similar.
1: Yeah, the sense that we will feel felt is kind of more and more absent so that everything becomes kind of superficial, commodify it again and in that commodification it's just a thing I'm telling you about, it's not a self, it's not a self-reality I'm mm. telling you about. So I am this thing and I'm going to tell you about this thing, it is it is a form of dissociation.
0: So that, that is basically a lack of trust in oneself or it leads to that because if you're constantly incoherent, you can't. You don't feel like you're going to be met properly or fully. You may even be belittled or, you know, derided for your true emotional or feeling state. And yeah,
1: so why would we trust? Yeah, why would we trust that we could share ourselves in a real way?
0: Well, you yeah, exactly. Why would we
1: even learn to you, be that kind of trusting?
0: You learn, you learn not to. Yeah. And so, but then you don't trust yourself. You don't trust your own emotional experience because you're constantly having to do this sort of ninja trick to um, mask what's really going on inside yourself. So when we're talking about like, you know, why should we value being real? Well, that's a major reason. Being able to trust yourself and your own inner experience and then to communicate that in a coherent way into the world. I mean, isn't that what we're here for?
1: And when you do have that kind of trust and connection with yourself, you are serving the world just by being who you are. Yeah. Your presence is a value.
0: Mm.
1: Your ability to connect is a value. Your ability to relate to the human experience as a human being who's had real human experience is of value.
0: Yeah, and also this is much more relaxing because, you know, walking around and masking your your true self all of the time is a it's a a huge ask. So a lot of people are walking around carrying you know, a massive weight of tension as they're <laughs> moving through the world.
1: Yeah, so this is often referred to as a sense of coming home. We can call being real synonymous with a sense of being at home, being mm-hmm. at ease, being yeah. well, feeling the natural goodness of being.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I really actually wanted to make sure that we talked a little Bit about the Lord of attraction. Okay, because <laughs> I feel like it is the the law of attraction is like the end game of positive psychology.
1: <laughs> but it is it is the kind of ultimate distortion of po- positive psychology. Yeah, yeah. And it's like Ken Wilber says, uh, you don't create your reality. Psychotics create their own reality. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah you know and I I, look I'll hold my my hand up and say that I read the secret and I tried it out in I think I was it was when it first came out or around then I was in my 20s and you know so I was young (laughs) and I just thought right I'm going to try this because it's you know these people are telling me this is hidden ancient knowledge (laughs) and uh and so let's have a little go and i would be sitting and you know really trying to have positive thoughts and you know imagining like the the money you know what it's always all the ego stuff as well isn't it that we want to bring which is fine you know what is it what is it money sex power Mm -hmm. you know but in my case it was probably love you know As the enneagram 2, <laughs> just sitting there. Oh, I'm gonna manifest this person into my life. Um, god, and as
1: as Barbara Ehrenreich said, that poor person. <laughs>
0: yeah, god, yeah. But then I think you know something would happen. Something would happen that seemed to prove it, and then you'd be like, oh, this shit works. But then there'd be loads of other ways that it didn't work. And it's just that you had this bias, you know, towards noticing and it is definitely a delusional state. And that takes quite a lot of effort to maintain.
1: And not only does it take a lot of effort to maintain, it's incredibly painful because when we're not real, when we're trying to force reality to conform to some idea that we have or that we think should be, we lose ourselves. And that losing ourselves and that losing of our essence, of our soul, is a source of some of the deepest pain and the deepest grief. And incidentally, there's a poem by David White called The Well of Grief, and you're going to read that for us now, Alex.
0: It's one of my favorites. Those who will not slip beneath the still surface on the well of grief, turning down through its black water to the place we cannot breathe, will never know the source from which we drink, the secret water, cold and clear, nor find in the darkness glimmering the small round coins. Thrown by those who wished for something else
1: Lovely, thank you The secret water So The secret water is The mystic nature The thing that we call soul or essence or being And that's ultimately what We resist When we resist ourselves When we resist The feelings of what's real When we resist our emotions And We talked about some of the reasons Why we would resist Some of the cultural reasons The fact that we weren't given the skill set Or validated for the feelings We were having Or Not trusting that those feelings Would matter to anybody else
0: Yeah or We think that we'll be stuck Where we are
1: Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, we'll be stuck that it will go on forever.
0: Yeah, because accepting where you are doesn't mean that things are not going to change or that you can't create a plan for change. I think that's a you know becomes a bit of a distortion when you are practicing being with everything as it is.
1: Yeah, and as we take this journey into what we're going to call emotional agility there are some things that can be really helpful as interestingly this rain outside (laughs) is really coming down
0: wow it really is yeah
1: at the edge of the pacific and this rain is just pouring now we're finally getting a whole california rainstorm
0: let's see if they can hear it if you just be quiet just one sec
1: All right, well, maybe it's there. So, particularly interesting is that what we're going to talk about right now is <laughs> how to process what we feel. And one of the techniques that we're going to talk about is uh, something that Ta- Tara Brock has brought forward, and it is the technique called RAIN. So, I'm not sure if there's a couple things we want to cover <laughs> before
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> oh that is very synchronistic. So yeah, uh I don't think so. I mean we were just really talking about you know why we why we tend to resist these states and you know we're just worried we'll just we'll get stuck. We won't know how to get out of these states. We'll have a breakdown. We'll end up in, on a psych ward. I mean, I've had those thoughts myself. So I know you listeners have had those thoughts too. And it could just be really scary because you, you, you know, it can, there can be a terror around experiencing, you know, some of these more these emotions that we find more difficult
1: you know there's another part of it too and it's it's that we see other people who kind of wallow in these emotions so we're not talking about wallowing we're not talking about becoming eeyore or becoming like uh the angry person or, or you know the the rager the rage monster we're talking about learning to skillfully navigate these feelings and this is where we're going to bring in this rain
0: Yeah, well, you talked about emotional agility, actually. Uh So it's being able to move in and out of these states. So if we start with.
1: In, out, and through, I would say.
0: That's in, out, (laughs) and through. That's great, yeah. So the first one, the R, is recognize. (laughs) The rain is so loud.
1: Pounding the windows.
0: So recognize. And so when we're recognized. Let's just read it out first.
1: Recognize, allow, Investigate, nurture. That's rain. Recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture.
0: It's one of T's favorite things is to have an acronym in the podcast. <laughs>
1: it seems to be a theme here.
0: <laughs> okay. So if you want to go into recognize? Right. Well,
1: so just recognizing that something's happening. Um being in touch with ourselves enough to know something's going on here and having a kind of an openness and a vulnerability and a non-judgment and a kindness towards the fact that something's happening maybe it's mad maybe it's sad maybe it's glad but let's find out more about it let's recognize that it's there
0: yes it's kind of like a mindfulness in a way
1: yeah and this is really a mindfulness practice
0: yeah okay then we've got Allow, and I think this is huge. Actually, this was life-changing for me. And when we're talking about allowing, we're talking about not resisting. And you said something brilliant earlier.
1: I always want to hear when I said something brilliant. (laughs) It was about (laughs)
0: destigmatizing or, uh, like I guess, our inner inner world.
1: So when I'm talking about destigmatizing, what i'm talking about is like emotions aren't that big of a fucking deal (laughs) it's just an emotion and an emotion is kind of a situational thought position with a feeling in the body and the feeling could be anything from powerful shaking to a collapse to uh, a rise of energy from the genitals through the head look it's just a feeling it's just an emotion They're not a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) Now, We've been taught, oh my God, if you feel this way or if you show that expression or if if you're mad, if you're sad, if you're grieving, if you're lonely, all these things are such a damn big deal. They're not a big deal. They're just feelings. They're just emotions. They feel big. They feel real. And it's important that we feel the bigness and the realness of them. It's important that we, so to speak, be with them
0: but they're not a big deal. Yeah, you know, you said something yesterday as well, and it was like, um, you know, an emotion, you could look at it like really objectively, like you're tickling your arm with a feather or a stone, you know, and it's like, yeah, if you're you're really trying to feel what's going on, it it can be like that, you know, like that visceral, we might feel a heat, might even feel a ticklish sensation.
1: Right. But you're just kind of objectively, oh, okay, I'm closing my eyes. You're going to tickle my arm with a stone or a feather. And I'm going to try to figure out which one it is. And as I figure out which one it is, what it's like.
0: Yeah, sometimes you might want to vomit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it could. You know, that's, that's the truth. They, they feel really big and important, but they're not a big deal. It's just a feeling. So de-stigmatizing, what I mean by that is is like, chill out. You're just having some feelings. Yeah, it's going to be okay, you know. Feelings, for the most part, don't kill people. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Well, I've been doing this for a lot of years, and you know, nobody's dropped dead. People have felt all kinds of things.
0: What about crimes of passion?
1: <laughs> well, that no, that's interesting because that's actually a behavior. So we confuse behaviors mm. and acting out of emotions with the actual feeling of the emotion themselves. And yes, acting out of emotions mm. and. Uh, Performing the emotions onto other people can hurt, can kill
0: Yeah, I think that's another reason why people are a bit worried That's why
1: we tend to not want to allow them because we feel that the natural extension of this emotion Is some terrible action in the world or Mm -hmm. some withdrawal from the world But the reality is we can skillfully and agilely move through these feelings And they're just feelings, they're just emotions
0: Yeah, right. Okay. So that's perfect.
1: So that's allow.
0: Yeah. And, you know, if we're going into allowing, then self-compassion using that model is a really good way to hold yourself through that whole process. Self-compassion comprised of three simple things. Mindfulness, recognition of your common humanity, and self-kindness. Okay. So we get to I, it's investigate. You said, name it to tame it. I wanted to just say it.
1: <laughs> okay, you get to name it to tame it. That's Dan Siegel's anyway. So, <laughs> uh, Right, so investigate. Now, this is really interesting because oftentimes you'll get really good at feeling and allowing something to be there. And you can allow something to be there, but that thing will be kind of amorphous and stuck and it'll, it'll just have this kind of overwhelming shape and intensity And kind of even feelings that go along with it, but it's not really clear what's going on. So one thing that's really important is we start to hone our ability to ask what's going on? And even what's really going on? And as we start to ask that as we're feeling, we not only notice that our feelings have a logic, they have a reason. But they also sometimes have an ask or a want or a need to be fulfilled or an action that needs to take place from them. And so, yes, we're being with it, but we're not just being with it. We're being with it with a curiosity, a kind of an investigative wonder like, okay, now I feel this sense of this stone or this feather on my arm and I want to know what's it all about here? What's what is this thing that I think is an arm? Is is I call it arm? What does it really feel like?
0: Do you know what? I, just as you were talking, then I was thinking to myself: I wonder if because sometimes, sometimes feelings and emotions just happen, and there's nothing you need to do with them. And you've just said. At other times, you might ask them. You know, what do you want? What do you need? And sometimes, that answer might be really hard. Uh. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's... But, you know. Not what you want to hear
1: Well, that's really good because that's another part of what we want to talk about is that part of being real Is following what's true and we're going to come back to that I think yeah in the process, but yeah, so Investigating wanting to know what's true within your experience so wanting to know what's true within the emotion
0: and You know,
1: sorry, can I say one more part? And usually, the emotion, the thing that's true about the emotion, is not somebody else is bad, right? Or somebody else is wrong, or or I'm a victim, or one of those things. Usually, it's not that kind of thing. Usually, it's a process that needs to reveal itself. Good
0: to mention that. (laughs) When I'm with when I'm working with clients, actually, and they haven't really developed a relationship with their feeling states. I often suggest that they use feeling wheels. These feeling wheels is emotional wheels and they're just slightly different and you can just buy them. And it helps you develop uh, intelligence around the expression of your emotions and feelings. So I would definitely recommend getting yourself one of those if you, you tend to struggle to name what's going on
1: yeah that's a really gorgeous tool and even if you just get it off the internet this idea of a feeling will because we tend to have uh we were listening to something recently i think it was actually brenny brown and she was talking about when they got down and broke down how many different emotions on average people could feel it was like three it was kind of mad sad and glad
0: do an impression of brenny brown t <laughs> <laughs> can you believe that oh <laughs> Three
1: emotions, I mean what the fuck?
0: <laughs> he makes me laugh with this listeners. He, he goes into it. I get the I get the full theatre. <laughs> Brilliant. So yeah, I mean what was it? Brene Brown. You already said it, didn't you? Sorry, I, I just said it. totally got swept up in that. <laughs> But yeah, anyway, we're talking about, like, you know, sa- learning to surf your inner anyway, life. Anyway.
1: Let's come with, back, because surf- <laughs> we're, 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 we're right in the middle of the rainstorm here. <laughs> Let's not get out of the rain. Okay, we've got rain. Recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture. Yeah. Right? Okay. So, part of the investigation is what we've talked about, and now you're coming to... Nurture? No, surfing your oh, inner oh, life. life. I guess you were, were just saying that.
0: Yeah, so surfing so your inner life... But you know, having an intelligence about that, it starts off with something simple, like just naming your experience, and then you can move on to self-inquiry, which you know requires you to have more of a an attunement with what's going on with yourself. And as you get into self-inquiry, I mean, gosh, this goes really deep. So you can learn. What's the
1: line from the the David White poem?
0: We will never know the source from which we drink, the secret water, cold and clear.
1: The secret water, cold and clear.
0: Yeah. So self-inquiry. T does this. I mean, he taught me the process of self-inquiry has been very, very helpful. And there's lots of different ways that you can inquire into your own inner experience. But the way that T does it comes from the Diamond Approach model. Yeah. And... That's amazing. Um, That's all I'm going to say about that. But you can go deep with this stuff and you can develop your intelligence. So, yeah. And then you can learn how to pendulate in and out of these different states. So one of the things that people tend to worry about or actually may not even worry about it, they just find that they get stuck in overwhelm. So you might kind of find this emotion that... Perhaps you haven't contacted since you were a young child and you find that you sit crying all day. And who wants to do that, sit crying all day? And I've been there when I didn't have the right guidance, but we don't have to do that. So, you know, you can say, okay, you could even put a timer on and say, I'm gonna spend absolutely half an hour with this. And you said something like, really just being kind and, you know, open and inviting that in yeah, so minutes. in that
1: allowing and investigating, you're coming to yourself, and it could be 30 minutes, it could be five minutes. You know, five minutes would do wonders, but you're coming to yourself as that nurturing figure that maybe you didn't have as a child, and you're just sitting down next to yourself and saying, hey, what's it like to be you right now? How's this going? What's this feel like? What's it feel like in your belly? What's it feel like in your chest? Huh, what's happening in your breath?
0: Hmm. And you, I mean, you can journal that out as well if that feels more comfortable as a process. Sometimes, I mean, I've mentioned this on another podcast, I will just send myself voice notes and just talk about what's going on in like a sort of free flow kind of style. Or you could get something free off YouTube to take you through an inquiry, like a process of inquiry, because I don't know if you've had this experience too, because I guess this is kind of part, big part of what you do, but I don't generally lead people through self-inquiry. I do suggest that they do it, but what, when I suggest it, what I'll get back is like, I don't know, how to even begin and how to start talking to myself and they feel stupid as well
1: yeah and frankly this is the value of doing some kind of therapy counseling coaching particularly the therapy and the counseling in your life or even having some kind of spiritual practice because we need to have a forum and often an interpersonal forum where we're relating around this material and where it someone is helping us unpack this material you know sometimes there's just it's just not possible to afford that or there's nobody even available for instance through the nhs right so we have to go online and we have to listen to teachers or find we have to seek yeah people that we feel good about that we trust and you know we talked about Tara Brock and some of the people over at Spirit Rock they have so many resources online there's so much now that even if you can't afford one-on-one therapy with someone that you can go and you can gain benefit and you can really make progress and I've seen people who can come to me for instance less regularly but they're really diligent in in wanting to know and their their heart is invested in it and they they try these different avenues and they try some ones that are really great for them and they try some that kind of peter out, but they keep on with the investigation, the eye of RAIN. The thing is, is that your life matters, your experience matters, your inner life matters. And as we start to recognize that through doing things like putting this RAIN process into, into our work, our life gets richer, our life gets deeper, and we taste that cool, clear water. So, finally, the end of the brain process is to nurture ourselves.
0: Yeah, we've got a whole podcast about that.
1: It's the self regulation podcast.
0: So, you go back and, and really listen to that. But, you know, lots of the techniques that we talk you through, simple yoga breathing, which is a big part of yoga, meditation, even just, you know, having textures around you that feel very comforting, things that feel good. That's what it's about. That's what self-regulation really is about. And I'd probably say active relaxation, you know, as opposed to just kind of like numbing out, although sometimes you do need to do that.
1: But starting to notice the living world as well Notice the rain hitting the window Take a few moments to listen to the rain Hitting the window Notice the sunshine on your face Stop and smell the roses As they say Relate to somebody with kindness You know, interestingly, coming back To that idea of kindness One of the most self-regulating things you can do Is to be kind to another person Yeah. And see that kindness affect them you you do that in an intelligent way that that respects your own boundaries Mm -hmm. but this idea that we can have a positive impact on another human being just by being warm-hearted just by being kind that changes us
0: yeah and it actually gives you a vagal nerve response which sends you those feel-good hormones so it's kind of you know it's like we're wired for kindness and there is a reason why every single spiritual tradition you've ever heard of suggests service and acts of kindness as a way to get closer to god
1: yeah so i think it's the dalai lama says for true happiness serve others and the whole tibetan buddhist tradition is based on compassion Like the highest movement, the highest form of life is compassion. So start at home with the compassion. Recognize, allow, investigate, nurture. Let the rain come into your own heart. (laughs) Start at home with the compassion. Start trusting that it's okay to be real. Yeah, and start noticing that every time you're real that truth opens up a little more depth in your life a little more holding in your life maybe even a little more resource from people that are willing to help you along the way
0: yeah and then you know that leads us to trust in life's inherent positivity Not the distorted version, because life is just going to be full of everything. And we're not always going to have these preferred experiences and preferred emotions and feelings. It's just delusional. And you know what? You know, if I could give that to you, you wouldn't want it. That's the other thing, because we really find who we are in the darkness, so to speak, and we grow from that.
1: In the well.
0: Exactly, and there's a reason that they say that the lotus flower grows in the mud, right? So we wouldn't really want it anyway. Embrace that which you are.
1: The full mess of our humanity, the full catastrophe as they say, (laughs) of our humanity.
0: (laughs) And it's really, that is the the beauty of us and look at every story out there. I mean, look, do you want to, do you really want to watch a movie that is just happy the whole way through? You don't, you want to watch the characters struggle a little bit and then they come through at the end.
1: Even yeah. even Chitty Chitty Bang Bang has, like, conflict.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Mary Poppins and such, you know. <laughs> exactly, you know. So yeah. it's part of our nature. And only if we could really just draw that in and really let go of these states of tension. And you know what? If we did that, we would be more resilient in life, you know, both on a personal level, And on a cultural level, because we could drop that victimhood that seems to just be out there at the moment in our culture, you know, this kind of sense of entitlement as well. And we just kind of like, okay, I'm here and this is precious no matter what's happening. Doesn't mean it feels good. (laughs) Doesn't mean it's what I preference, but it is precious.
1: Yeah, life is precious. precious. It's rich and it's possible to feel it as a positivity and when you feel life as a positivity you don't need to fake positivity because you know that you are life and you are positive but in the transcendent sense of positive the transcendent sense that transcends all the hardships and even life and death, the positivity of being, the positivity of ultimately reality.
0: Yeah, OK, well, that was beautiful. I don't know if you've got anything else to add to that, or shall I just get on my treadmill and finish off my steps? Because I'm not going to be going outside in the rain despite <laughs> despite my embrace of it.
1: No, I think it's probably a good time to get on the treadmill. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening. And if you would like to work with either me or T, we will have our contact details in the show notes. We love hearing your feedback. It really means so much to us, whether it's positive or negative or anything in between. Send us a message, let us know what you were thinking when you were listening to this podcast and we missed anything and there's something that you wanted to add okay we'll see you next time it would really mean so much to us if you enjoyed this podcast please rate follow and review us thanks for listening
1: thanks